And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Once my husband told me of this man, he avenges our wrongs. They call him silence, because wherever he goes, the silence of death follows. Tell me something, old-timer. Are we within the jurisdiction of Snow Hill County? Yeah. You can rest or hang anyone you want. Thanks a lot. Look who's the man that you want. He killed my husband. How much do you want for him? Say, boy, you're trying to force me to draw, ain't you? But I'm not losing my temper of that, I'm sure. Have you forgotten who he is? He picks a fight and when somebody draws it, he shoots him. But you're the man he's here to get. Sooner or later, you're going to meet up with someone faster than you. Well, that'll be an amusing day. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. What I love about a revenge western is when the bad guy finally gets a bullet in the face. Hated and reviled by his few remaining he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this idiocy? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the... Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! 
all settled? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. 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 Uh, unfortunately, we only have horse meat. Mm. Or a big chicken on a steak. Mm. I'm 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 a good chicken chewer. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Horse meat's good. That it's a, that's what kept Philip Jose Farmer going. Yeah. Well, not Philip Jose Farmer. Uh, Philip K. Dick. I'm getting my Phillips mixed up. Philip K. Dick. Oh God, what a character. But we're not talking about him today. Um. No, we're about as far as from the world yeah. of Philip K. Dick as we can get. <laughs> we are actually talking about, and I'm not. You know, I usually like to make, have fun and joke around in these intros, but uh, seriously, people, this is one of my favorite films. This is... Uh, it occurred to me that we had not done a spaghetti western, and I chose to use this, uh, use this opportunity to introduce the subject to a, a great, great great movie by a man named Sergio Carbucci that is apparently much beloved by Quentin Tarantino called, I don't know I, I can't see why <laughs> called The Great Silence from 1968 uh, I've seen reviews of this where people say it shouldn't be called a spaghetti western I'm like fuck that it is a spaghetti western it has that same dour kind of cynical Tone what, to it. What would be what? What is their criteria for not calling it a well, spaghetti western? I suspect that a lot of people claim it's not a spaghetti western because they think spaghetti western is something lesser, which is bullshit. Um. So it just has to be a lower quality movie. Yeah. Basically? Oh well, whatever. This is definitely a spaghetti western, and it's definitely it is, in my opinion, the best of its kind. Um, and it is it's funny because when I was watching this I was thinking about our discussion on Thriller or Cruel Picture and there's kind of some similarities because this is also about how fucked up humanity is yes and go ahead go ahead it's 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 not well neither was was a cruel picture but at least in this one the, a lot of the, the, the a lot of the movies like this will have like no character that you can sympathize with at least this one has a couple three you know has a couple main characters that are oh well it has three the sheriff's a good guy in this yeah. too and then it's got like some sympathetic old ladies you know who, <laughs> who need revenge and stuff right. but in general, yeah, the condition, the it's it's dog eat dog, mm-hmm. or uh, outlaw eat horse. Outlaw eat horse, yes. Right. <laughs> and that but, was a great scene. They descended on that horse like zombies. Yeah. They were just like, oh. <laughs> we could eat for a week based on this horse. It's. This is going to be a boring... For people who come here listen to it wanting to hear us rag on films, this is going to be a boring episode because there's nothing to rag on in this film. This is just an amazing movie. And I think part of the reason it's so amazing is that they chose... Carbucci chose to shoot this instead of shooting it in uh, Spain like all the other 
spaghetti westerns to, sim to simulate Texas and Mexico and all that. He um, re he shot this in the Italian the Italian Dolomites, which are a uh, a mountain range and has such I think that, that the fact that it's like in this oppressive snow all the time. To the point where, where there's the one shot that happens, the one scene that happens during uh, spring, it's like a shock. Yes. Um, but I mean, it, it, it's it, it just shows you how almost insignificant these people are, because there are the, many coverage has all these shots of these people in this great field of white. Yeah, the first shot. And yeah. he's like isolated into the corner of the picture. It's just a little guy on a horse in a field of white in the corner of the picture. That that was when I was starting to freak out because I knew yeah. nothing about nothing about this movie. <laughs> so I'm watching it and I'm like, "Ooh, it takes place in winter. I love that. I love movies shot in winter in real snow a lot." Yeah. And then I see like. Klaus Kinski's name come up and I go oh boy and then I see Ennio Morricone's name come up and I go oh boy <laughs> and uh, I was not disappointed do you realize this is the first for somebody who has um, done so much grindhouse movie pictures this is the first time we get to talk about Klaus Kinski yeah I know one of the, the, the true great international weirdos of our time he he like well i mean there's really no way of getting around that you're gonna typecast klaus kinski because he looks like a chihuahua you know he's got those <laughs> eyes and i think in this movie he was even bringing a, he was like a, the younger klaus kinski in this movie mm -hmm. i think he was trying to bring a little brando to it Right. The the way he was carrying his face and his his mannerisms, I think he was definitely biting off Brando in it. But he can't help right. doing his Klaus Kins. There's one scene where you know he's in the j they have him in the jail cell and and a bunch of characters are just talking and he's just at the corner of the back of the screen, mm -hmm. just making these faces at them and <laughs> mugging and it's it's. You know, I if if it wasn't for that face, he might not be able to get away with it. But he's just he's great. He's creepy and he knows it, you know, mm -hmm. and he, he works it. And I mean, th there's no doubt he is the villain. I mean, hell, he's called Loco. In Loco. <laughs> yep. Um, he actually could. He could have chewed more scenery in this. It's it's uh, yeah. it's it's he's 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 not subdued. But he's mm -hmm. play, he's playing it like he's not going over the top with it. Yeah, no, he doesn't do anything like uh, like his partner in the first act who who exits the film rather quickly. <laughs> yes, a lot and of people he, exit this film rather oh, quickly. Oh, yeah, a lot of people enter, exit this film rather, including people you did not expect to end up that way. Um, but you know, the, the, his partner, the the lawyer guy, whatever you know. We have this whole scene of him eating a whole chicken in the most disgusting way. And I have a note to that. I think Frank Miller totally <laughs> cribbed that scene for a, for one of his later Daredevil comics. Mm -hmm. 
And, and although that is sort of a spaghetti Western thing, they, right. they love showing people chew up their food with their mouth open. For Well, um, there is that one issue of Daredevil that, that Miller openly admits was, was, was his homage to spaghetti Western. I remember it was a mob boss and he was he wasn't eating a chicken. He was eating spaghetti. But the way that it was framed was exactly, you know, the the way that it was coupling the dialogue with with close ups of chewing. Mm-hmm. I, I I like really think he 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 glommed on that. There's a I mean, there's, I, I put the Frank Miller in there, but that's just wedged along all my <laughs> Quentin Tarantino notes. <laughs> I mean, if, if you don't hate th- this guy by now, which is and he's pretty hateable because he basically tricks a mother into giving up her own son and shoots the guy in front of them. In front of her, yeah. In front of her, which is like, you know, the fact that he, he's just it's so the way that Kobuchi shot, shoots that that scene of him decimating that chicken. It's just so gross you want him to to die after that well this this is why i prefer spaghetti westerns to regular what to american westerns the the italians seem to be just fascinated with the american west and the the physical aspects of it there's like that that you could tell and and there's been some american westerns that have been like okay we're going to approach this realistically but the italians really really you know bring it home that the the west was dirty yeah scrubby everybody was grimy everybody had like weird facial hair with with red like irritated skin underneath and uh we're just generally you know everybody's just uh, you know for the most part uh, you know a lot more animalistic than they are now and uh you know the 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 dominance of nature and uh on on humans they really and the and the just sort of um you you, you know the, the when they when they film saloons and houses and stuff they make them they give them the sort of slapped up temporary beat up li- super lived in dirty grimy conditions that would probably be the realistic conditions for that time period so you know nobody has nice wooden walls in their houses they're all that weird like maybe they had a layer of cheap wallpaper that's like gotten wet and and you know it's it, it really works for it really brings the 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 atmosphere to it you know and 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 not like american Western movies Sorry. are almost like a, a stage production. You know, we have like iconic ideas of the cowboys and the stagecoach and the saloon and, and everything in this. And, and I just prefer I just prefer the grimy greasiness of of spaghetti westerns. And this delivered that in spades. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, all Spaghetti Westerns are look lived in. Yeah. And they look like places that people just are kind of trapped in. And that also extends to stuff like like the the many of the uh, Sam Peckinpah films. I think that, for yes. example, this would be a really interesting double feature 
with the Wild Bunch. That's another one on my mm-hmm. Hall of Shame. And wow. the, the only Sam Peckinpah Western I've ever seen was uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, mm-hmm. which was grimy. <laughs> right. Uh, boy. Lots of flies I'm, in that movie. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm almost tempted to bring my Blu-ray with the, with me to the uh, to the barbecue and forcing you to watch it. Ooh. Don't uh, threaten me with a good time. <laughs> well, we can't talk about it because it wasn't a, it wasn't a grindhouse picture. It was an A-list picture. Yes, yes. Picture. But um, but the thing that a lot of the the same themes because this is this takes place. At the turn of the century, just like the, the Wild Bunch does, when the the West is changing. In fact, you have that that speech by the governor of Utah in the first act, where he's talking about we have to change. You know, we can't have people indiscriminately murdering people. We need to evolve into a a new West where everybody cooperates and and well, we uh, kind of saw where that that got us. And that's the only scene in a nice ordered building. Yes. <laughs> in the whole thing, it, that's the one. That scene looks like it could. It, the set looks like it could be the same set that Harvey Corman played when he, you know, it, w- mm-hmm. with Mel Brooks in Blazing Saddles. And it's, you know, that's the like, that's our sole glimpse into like civilized life, and then it's gone. It's one scene. And and I and I and I love that sheriff. That sheriff is a great character. Oh, the the sheriff is, you know, is is just is is really interesting. And he has like an almost interesting relationship with Silence almost from the beginning. Well, you think he's going to be as in Italian films mm-hmm. that portray the police a complete bumbler. Yeah. And he is a bumbler. He's he's kind of a bumbler that that stumbles into. But he knows he's a little Columbo. You know, he's got a little Columbo going on there, where he's just like, I'm the doofy, good natured, kind of dumb sheriff coming into town. But he's eyeballing everybody, and yeah. he's getting everybody's number immediately. And is when when it and you know at first you're just like, oh, this guy just let his horse get taken and stuff. Yeah. But as you as you see him progress through the movie there's a method to his madness and yeah and you also realize that he's a very decent human being very yes. early on and he will find a way i love the fact that he finds a way to uh to, to try to charge loco at the stagecoach I'm like, well, you know, according to this uh, this regulation, you're supposed to carry your dead bodies in a coffin of wood or steel. You're not doing that. <laughs> so I'm gonna. He tries to arrest him right there, which I think is pretty funny. Yeah, and he does look like uh, the 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 sequence where um, he goes to the widow's house to make sure she buried her husband and stuff, mm-hmm. ostensibly, so you know, Loco could collect his money. Or they can determine whether he should collect his money or not. But he's really just using it as an opportunity to gather some information and mm-hmm. and get the lay of the land. It was uh, it, when 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 the movie first started out, I was like, oh, this isn't going to have much plot to it. It looks like it's going to be pretty much um, silence delivering, Vengeance, you know, yes. vendetta to everybody. But uh, 
as as the plot started piling up, I was like, oh no, I don't want more plot on this, but uh, it it all worked. Mm-hmm. Everything in this movie works. It. I was I was uh, I sat down after a hard day of work and forgot about everything for the for the entire length of the movie. It just like unspooled and it was it was great. Mm-hmm. I needed that. Well, apparently this film was his um, reaction um, to the sameness he felt that was going on with a lot of Spaghetti Western, other Spaghetti Westerns. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I played right into that. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember about halfway through the movie, I, I was... The main, the, the the guy who played Silence. I'm looking at him and I'm like, Jean-Louis. he reminds me. He reminds me of somebody. And then as I, a, a couple scenes later, I'm like, he's almost like a little bit of young Harrison Ford, mixed with a little bit of Tom Hardy in there, and he's got those blue eyes that 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 you know make that that help a lot for a non-speaking character. And I was just like, man. This guy is setting himself up a kick-ass franchise here. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, he's got the signature weapon. He's got mm-hmm. the, you know, he's got the gimmick and all. You think that, and then this is during the era where you had you had Django and you mm-hmm. had Santana and you had oh, oh what's the other one? Uh, the man with no name. The man with no well, the man with no name. The thing is, the man with no name was, I think, a something that was imposed on the films because they're uh, the characters that Chris that Chris Claremont Clint Eastwood play in each of those films are different characters and they all have names (laughs) you know he's called uh, Blondie I think in The Good, The Bad and The Ugly but the the man with no name was, was a concept that was it was imposed on those just, films. Just to but, put all the Clint Eastwood movies into a yeah. category. Yeah. It's I, and of course, it, 1968, a film where there is there is a sexual and romantic relationship between people of two different colors is pretty amazing. Yeah, and uh, not to not to spoil into the next movie, but. <laughs> it's oh, a yeah. running running Compared theme for the last one. couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um Italians for some reason were fascinated with black people in the 70s. Yes. Yes, and like in in that that way in the 70s it's completely like racist, but at the same time it has a sort of innocence to it where they're just like the black people are so fascinating. <laughs> what what a charming negress we have here, you know, <laughs> type of that type of thing. But yeah. Oh, oh yeah, no, the, the the way that Brenda was that character's name, the way that Brenda was was treated in the film we're going to be talking about next. That's kind of. Yeah, but this 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 character, it, there's really no reference to her color. No. By anybody in the in the movie, not even the bad guys, and there's no reference to she was in an in, uh, um, interracial marriage or 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 anything like that. She was just the widow. And she's part of the the community. Yeah. 
she's not shunned. She's just, I mean, the fact that the three other women that apparently live in this town. Well, the other, all the other women that live in the town are apparently hookers, so... Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Which could very well be about... It. They're either hookers or they're, they're old moms. <laughs> but... I also like the fact, uh, speaking of the going back to the... Um, going back to um, the, the, the sheriff... I like the fact he doesn't give them any trouble. In fact, seems to get get this kind of rapport going with the with the madam. Oh, I uh, oh he and the madam are uh, are you know have the makings of an item starting. You know she's she's uh, you know she's she's offering to come pour his coffee every morning. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and then we've got. Uh, the, well, you know, Loco is the is the is kind of like the major antagonist, but there's also Polycott. He's the he's the different kind of asshole. He's the yeah. the weaselly weaselly businessman asshole, the puppet master asshole. Yeah, although he was part of the the, the bounty hunting team in the in the flashback, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and he he learned to make himself more respectable while still. Yeah profiting off the same thing off just harvesting people <laughs> basically yeah the, the 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 sheer joy in which these bounty hunters just kill people in this movie is They're just ha- yeah exactly it's ridiculous like, it, 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 it's it's like good old boys talking about you know you know bagging their deer yeah well there's a lot of there's a lot of like you know it ain't nothing personal. It's just so much easier to to deal with a corpse, <laughs> yeah, than than someone who's alive. Um, I I'm gonna keep going off about snow. Yes. Okay. Snow. Snow. I, that's one of the things I think that that, that I mean, even if this wasn't is this great film, which it is, uh, the fact that it is done in this perpetual snowstorm pretty much um let makes it stand out from other spaghetti westerns being made at this time well there's also like you cannot fake real snow and a lot of times in movies you know even up to today you know a lot of times now it's faked with cg and stuff right but you cannot fake you you could not nothing on this was a sound stage with white powder on the you know fake snow on the ground this was real snow and like uh, one thing you know a personal thing for me is i grew up in northern new york and and any scene in this that didn't have mountain ranges in the back basically could have been winter where i grew up so it just it it, it had that very that you know like big empty white fields of snow and uh just the 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 i i italians are not good with animals in movies as we will also see in the next one but you know there's like there's so much um footage of horse of how just the logistics of taking your horse so there's actually a scene is it i think it's with um with um silence's horse right where he's just like going down a hill and the horse falls right over 
and just like rolls him into the snow and uh I imagine that happens quite, and there's lots of scenes of the actors really pushing horses hard through deep snow, and uh, uh, that's another thing you wouldn't see these days because it's probably not very, it's probably very dangerous to the horses. You could break their legs and stuff, but that's probably how they did it in the old west too. So it just, it 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 has that 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 feel of you know human humans driving everything to the to the the limits to, in order just to survive in the environment uh the only scene that i thought was that that i couldn't figure out was uh the the shot of the stagecoach coming down that beautifully plowed road mm-hmm. with the super nice cut <laughs> edges yes. on it with like four feet of snow perfectly cut on either side mm-hmm. but i'll forgive it because it was a beautiful scene yeah. Oh, well, I mean, this this whole film just is, is I think, is beautiful. And you stuff, know, small details like his horse, that he has his horse, um, you know, um, hooked up on the back of when, when he gets in the, yeah. in the, and, and you can tell, like, just by the way his horse runs, it's the hero's horse. He's sort right. of cantering behind it, and he's <laughs> like a little more regal than the other horses. And I'm yeah. just like, damn, they've got that horse's in character. <laughs> it's it's amazing. There I I mean there were so many shots in this that I I would have loved to have been in the editing room when they were working on him and just going like, "Oh, there's one scene where the the madam from the whorehouse shoots off Klaus Kinsey's hat." And yeah. they obviously had his hat rigged up to a string to yank it off, but he doesn't blink. Mm-hmm. And and the the hat gets blown off his head, he doesn't blink and he does this weird just little shrug. And the, the the rag that's on his head goes down around his neck. And I was just like, man, <laughs> if I were in the editing room or, you know, when we when when cut on that take, I would have been just like over there, like kissing Kinski's feet going, yes, <laughs> very good. That was perfect. And there's so many moments like that in this movie. There's a transition the transition into his flashback of his origin story when he was a little kid that goes from right. the flickering the flickering candle turns to the sun, mm-hmm. and and I, okay I could see okay let, you know we'll make that transition. It's the most seamless, beautiful, just crossfade I've seen in in a long time. I mean these days, you could tweak that up with with CG and to to get to get it to be as smooth as that candle turning into the sun. And like the way the candle was distorting with the light was the same way that the sun was distorting coming through the tree. It was just, just beautiful. And yeah, it was the, the, the whole movie was filmed with this, with, with these just amazingly composed shots it's it's well I mean it, it's Kabuki was was a great director although apparently by this point he was just tired of westerns. Well, yeah, the ending <laughs> pretty yeah, much tells the you the ending that. is very yeah it, it's it's very bleak but I think it it plays with the bleakness of the film itself. There's very little humor in it, and it's also like somebody like 
you know, ter- ter- like it's almost symbolically of like, well, I'm done with Westerns. <laughs> rip, 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 rip. Yeah. Um, oh, you thought, you know, you you were waiting for silence too, <laughs> the greater right. silence. Right. Ain't, ain't happening. <laughs> no, no, it's it's not. And you just you just sit there, kind of stunned that that he gets first he he gets his uh, taste of you know silence gets a taste of his own medicine, and then he is he's slaughtered in the street. And not only is slaughtered. By the way, I know that we just spoiled the film for you guys, but this film is from '68, so we're talking about a 50-year-old film. Yes. You haven't seen it by now. Fuck y'all. Yes. We're talking just one of the most grim endings, you know, this side of Cannibal Holocaust. (laughs) Although at least with Cannibal Holocaust, you sort of like wanted the people to die by that point. And this one, it not only, you know, the hero doesn't die, he doesn't get to do anything heroic. (laughs) He doesn't, um, he doesn't even get to have a chance at a real last stand. They like, you know, they cheat (laughs) right off the beginning. uh, Loco has one of his henchmen just like blow off his other, his other Uh, good uh, hand. And then he's just basically executed. And then his girlfriend's executed, and well, then everybody's executed. The film, Silence kind of cheats himself. Because he's using a machine pistol, so he can shoot more rather than... Uh, so, so even though he may not be accurate, in fact, remember Burnett makes that comment about well you, you know the thing is he should gets gets more bullets off at the same time guys still die yeah the the gun was almost like one of the things that like you said earlier like the special gun i was like okay this is going to be a series <laughs> he doesn't talk he's got that weird squared off gun well he's it's, got a it's a mauser it's ma- i'm not i didn't know my i i didn't know if it was like a, a it's a, it's a, a real gun, name. or if it was yeah. just something they rigged up for the movie, or you know, it's a real like. gun. It's it's called the Mauser C96. It was a German-made machine pistol. It's one of the earliest machine pistols in uh, in production. So, um, but the thing is, of course, put take this piece of German machinery and put it in the middle of Utah, and it's it's might as well be a ray gun. Yes. Yes. And you'll notice and, that and Loco at the end, takes, Kinski gets yeah. it. Kinski just yeah. mine now. Yeah. And I think maybe there might have been a little subtext in here that Silence, like, started by by hooking up with the widow, and um, by Klaus Kinski sort of fucked up his his magic. Yeah. By not drawing on him. Right. And and getting a oh, fist fight with him. Thing. Yeah. And and get just totally getting silence to break off his game, you know, right. of of his rules, you know, and not make it happen simply. And that just brings him down from the godlike level where, you know, little old ladies send him a note and he comes out and just dispenses death to whoever wronged them to an actual human who can be defeated and mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and the, the the only thing that I thought was kind of a like, uh, um, kind of cheesy in this movie was the very end where they had to put the 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 little uh, ah, I wouldn't call it a disclaimer, but just sort of like you know, and and I had to sort of suss it out from the Italian, but Italians like, and it was basically like you know, the world will never forget this tragedy, yeah. you know, tragedy of all these people. So it was sort of like, oh, let's put this in a historical context, and I'm sitting there thinking. I don't think this was, I, I think maybe they got the idea from real bounty hunters and stuff like that and what they used to do, but I don't think this was a real incident in Utah that that happened. At least, maybe, at least I assume it wasn't. I never well, looked I it up. It was more, according to Corbucci, according to interviews of Corbucci, um, when he was writing this, he was thinking of the deaths of Che Guevara and Malcolm X and Mark Luther King. Hmm, Okay. And I think that that was kind of a way to contextualize it in that way. Yeah, and it probably was a lot more obvious in 1968, too. Yeah. But, uh, can, we, can we talk for a second about Jean-Louis Trichand? Yes. I think he is amazing. He's definitely got presence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm comparing him to Tom Hardy and, and Harrison Ford, and that's not just in looks, especially with Harrison Ford. There's like he has this he can make this pained look on his face that uh, uh, that, you know, where you have your action hero. But this action hero is, you know, he's when he goes to bed at night, his joints are creaking. You know, he's feeling his bruises and. His his stuff and he and he had that in his in his face. It was it was very Harrison Ford like. I heard that he only agreed to do this movie if he did if he didn't have any dial didn't have to remember any dialogue. Yeah, well, well, luckily it's about a mute. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's to, to carry a film without saying a word is is quite a feat, and he pulls it off. And he makes you think he's, he's, you know, well, you know, I mean, it's partly his performance that makes you think that he's indestructible. And it's also the, you know, the tropes of the, the spaghetti Western. It's just like, all right, you know, his, his, his shooting hands burned and now he's going to have to shoot left handed. We're going to see, yeah, yeah, we're going to see how he can just crawl from the, the, you know, the ashes of defeat and <laughs> nope. <laughs> it's it's almost like a lot of people misuse the phrase slap to the face. Mm-hmm. But this movie is 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 a conscious slap to the face. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. And that slap to the face is usually is is usually uh, in a negative Maybe not, you know, spit in the face is also you. I don't think this movie was spitting in your face, but it was definitely when when it was unreeling and I realized what was happening. I was just like, this is definitely the director. You know, this is this is a director directly addressing the audience. You know, ah, oh, you thought this was going to happen. No. And, and, you know, each second that as of that ending sequence 
just gets more and more nihilistic and and depressing and and uh and you yet know because we're set up to think this is the beginning of a series yeah 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 and not only we are going okay how is he gonna how is he gonna get out of this, this is, how is he gonna he doesn't no he's killed in the way that supervillains never get to kill the hero in humiliation he is that is the scene that never happens in any Superman movie when right. they leave him leave him to drown with the kryptonite around his neck, you know. I'm going to make you die in this awful, humiliating way, and then they always get out of it, and, you know. I mean, I mean, didn't, didn't uh, Night of the Living Dead come out in 1968, too? Um, I think... Let me check. It might have been, it might have been even earlier than that. But that time period was pretty much the beginning of the, you know, that yeah, you are correct, sir. So, so they came out. The, yeah, that 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 was like the, the the year that I was born was like the beginning of the, you know, that led right directly into the nihilistic, classic, and you know, um, Soylent Green is made of people endings that you know. It was almost in that time period in the 70s where you almost couldn't have a happy ending, you know? It was all, like, silent running and, uh, and this. At least silent running had, like, he was, like, got to do something symbolic or, right. or something like that. I mean, I mean, um, silence didn't even get to, like, inspire a little kid or something at the no, end of it. No. Ever, anybody, anybody, anybody that he could have inspired is dead at the end of this film yep and they 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 break all sorts of rules like uh the sheriff notice how they're killed in like the most humiliating ways too yeah Um, you know the sheriff no honor yeah the the sheriff is forced onto a, a a frozen lake where he breaks through the ice and drowns and you don't see him die so you assume he's coming back you're like, okay, I didn't see that guy die, and I know that he's plucky. Nope, no, he just drowned and drowned and froze to death. Right. Um, you know, Silence and uh, Pauline are shot and killed, basically killed like dogs in the street. And the the outlaws, quote unquote, are are basically shot while they're 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 bound and they're bound and gagged. And left there on the floor of that saloon. It's like, well, pick them up later. Yeah, they'll free. It's cool enough to keep them for a few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 the way they and they do it several times. They they referred to it. The Kinski says it several times. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, there's not much bounty on each of them, but when you add it all up, it's good money. You know, it's, it's just like, yeah, we have to kill. Like, if we want to get the money from this, we have to kill as many people as possible. But right. hey, it's still a good take. You know, mm-hmm. if if we split it all up between us, and uh, yeah, and that and like. <laughs> That sums up the whole movie. It's no wonder that Quentin Tarantino loved this movie because he loves that, you know, confounding of expectations of things not happening the way. I mean, he takes it in in his own direction, but you can definitely see the seeds. I mean, the the parallels between Django and and, uh, Hateful Eight in this movie are are just undeniable. I was I'm sure about he's on film. record talking about the, yeah. all of that. 
I was I was talking about this film with my therapist uh, two weeks ago, and Tarantino came up, and I said and I said something to the effect of watching a Tarantino film is akin to basically rifling through his DVD collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't mean that in a, in a negative way, but it's like he. he he wears his, his influences on the, the sleeve and basically takes them and cuts and pastes them in a, in a, in a surprising way. Which, it was hilarious. And I remember in the early days of Quentin Tarantino, I, I specifically remember Film Threat Magazine going nuts. Because mm-hmm. they had discovered, like, seek, you know, they had this whole... They, they, th- they thought they'd just, like found his Achilles heel fire thing yeah yeah they're just like oh geez look at this Quentin Tarantino shot for shot from this you know Japanese movie uh, and it, was, it was Hong Kong City Hong City Kong City yeah, Empire it, by I think Ringo I, forgive me guys Hong Kong experts if I get this wrong I think it was by Ringo Lamb I'm not sure but go ahead but yeah and they they, they were like we got him <laughs> and uh in fact, they just sort of just like figured out his artistic thing. But it's like it took years after that, I think, for people to start figuring out. Yeah, like, yeah, he's is drawing from this stuff. But, you know, I mean, nobody gets gets upset when people draw from non grindhouse movies, which they do all the time. It's called paying tribute. And uh, and and it was what he did with it. It was and uh I mean, well, the, the thing about Reservoir Dogs is Reservoir Dogs is the third act of City on Fire expanded outward into its own movie. Because I've seen both. So, yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah, it's undeniable that it is inspired by City on Fire, but he takes it in a different direction. Yeah, it's it's as if someone saw City on Fire and said, "What if I took this aspect of it and approached it from this way?" You know, so he 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 gloms onto lots of atmospheric stuff and some of the dynamics of how a scene will unspool, but he totally turns it into his own. You know, he's he. It's not even like a band doing a cover song. It's sort of like. Um, uh, what was his name? Carl Stalling, the guy who used to do the Looney Tunes music. Right. You no, know, he would have all this different music going along to suit whatever was going on on the screen, and it didn't matter what genre the music was, as long as it it fit into there. So, you know, you would have orchestral music, and then all of a sudden you'd hear like a little bit of the melody of a hit song of the day, like, you know, Baby Bumblebee or something Mm -hmm. like that, or a song associated with a holiday or with, you know, something just to, just to add that mood. And it would only be in there for like three or four bars. And then it would be on to more, you know, um, orchestral takes and stuff. But that's how I sort of picture Quentin Tarantino is with his movies. He takes little, little bits and little pieces of the, the, the way something feels. I mean, just the feel and, and the stagecoach scene is a classic scene in, in cinema, but the feel of the, you know, picking up the sheriff with, with, um, silence in the, in the, in the cab with him is just, it, it, 
has just very similar DNA with the scene in with the with the stagecoach scene in uh, Hateful Eight. There's there's just a sort of like oh, well yeah you know you know that that he was thinking of this mm-hmm. he was thinking of this when he was putting together that and uh, it's that a new movie. and it's a new sheriff in Hateful Eight getting picked yeah. up and he's kind of a doofus yeah and he turns out dead <laughs> he ends up dying and he yeah. ends up being a little he ends up being a little more competent than you thought too yeah. so. And there, there was another scene, and it was just a, it wasn't a very um, important scene in it, but it was just a sort of camera tracking shot in a, in a, um, in a bar, and around the tables that was very much like the shot in the cabin in, in, um, in uh, Hateful Eight, where they had, where the, where the guitar, where the, where the woman was playing the guitar, and. Uh, and it was almost just like a little, just a, and it was such a small thing. It wasn't, you know, a, a big scene in the movie or something. It was just sort of visually the same. And I don't know if it was the way the room was laid out or if he laid out his room the same way so he could sort of recreate that shot. But I was catching a lot of that in in this and you know, I mean, it's got some elements. Django's got some elements of it with a with a German bounty hunter, right? With a with a fur coat. <laughs> although, although he, you know, the the actor, I'm, I'm he's looking. an inverted loco in yeah. in Django. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the the guy, the the voice actor who played loco in the, um. In the dubbed version, gave him this southern accent, which was kind yes. of disquieting coming out of Klaus <laughs> Yes, it was. I got used to it, but it took me a little while to get used to it. But uh, I mean, that must have amused Tarantino. Yeah. Also, to to a large degree. And where he gave his his German. <laughs> guy a real german well i don't know if klaus kinski kinski is supposed to be german in the movie but he's klaus kinski so (laughs) yeah so we naturally assume you know creepy aryan guy and i just love it i mean i I realize you know when, when we talk about something we just love it's not as fun (laughs) but, <laughs> no, no, it's not because it's like yeah. There's only so many ways you can say, man, that was really cool. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think like I, I I think that I like the fact that there's no happy ending. And it, even though the way the film is structured, you're going, oh, okay, yeah. Well, he's gonna come back from this. Yes, no, no. Oh, no, he's not. I wasn't sure I liked the happy ending. Or the set, the oh, the yes, ending of it till I saw the happy the happy ending and I can't that. remember what what country it was they had to cut there was a certain supposedly for the Asian oh, let me take a look at this because I have I have the uh, information supposedly for the North African and Asian markets the producer asked Corbucci to create an alternate happy ending because they were going to release it in those markets around Christmas time. (laughs) And I have seen 
the happy alt the happy ending you have as well. Man, yes. it's goofy. It's stupid. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's completely. It, 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 it's a subversion of the subversion. It is exactly what I was sort of picturing how it was going to end. I'm like, any second now, okay, silence is disabled. Where's the sheriff? You know, what, what, you know, the sheriff is going to come out and be the cavalry in this. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and literally, and that's, in the ending, he comes out, he rides in. Loco pulls his gun first, first off. So you know he's kind of gone with regardless. Yep. Because that's always that's established very early on. I don't pull my gun unless somebody you know pulls it first. So I so I can say it's self defense. Well, this is, you know he's a mute, so he can't say. But you know what I mean. Um. Court the 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 sheriff runs in, shoots down Loco, frees the outlaws. Uh, we learn. That he that silence was wearing this kind of metal glove, like gauntlet, sort of yeah. half gauntlet on his hand, which would have just like shattered into metal fragments into his hand and been worse yeah. than just letting the bullet go through. But anyway, and then and, and, and then at then, the end they all get in a circle and and he gives a big toothy smile. Yeah, and let's not forget that the sheriff goes, "I'm gonna make you my deputy." <laughs> You see, okay, that, that that's the thing about the version I saw. It had no sound to it. Oh, okay. I've I have I've seen the I think it's the the, the Blu-ray that I saw the, before I, I decided to buy, just buy it outright as a digital down as a digital file. Mm, I, okay. I, in preparing for this, I'm like going, why don't I own this? I love this film so much. Why can't I? Why don't I own this? And so I ended up buying the you know, buying the digital file. The, my, my file does not contain the ending, but I, I saw it on the Blu-ray a couple of years ago. And I recall the dialogue, and it's just so weird. It, that like, was the ending that it was building up to have, and then when you see that ending, you go like, no, I, I, I guess I really didn't want that. Now, supposedly there is a third ending, which... um. It was never – it is included in the special features of the later Blu-rays because they did a, a recent uh, re- restoration of it of this um, and released did a, a special 50th anniversary release in 2018. Uh, now in the um, – what they call the ambiguous ending, um, Silence is shot by Loco's henchman in both hands before he can draw his gun like in the, the, the real ending. Um, he collapses on the ground. Apparently, though, Loco suddenly, his heart grows two sizes too big that day. And he decides to just walk away and leaves Loco and the outlaws alone. That's weird. That's that's very weird. And that would have been, I think that would have been even a worse. Yes. That would have been. I mean, the, the, the happy that, ending totally just throws away everything that makes this film unique. But you would have gone like, ah, but 
yeah, that's how that's how it would have, you know, you would have yeah. been just like, oh, yeah, a little disappointed in it. See, I would have like if I wanted to get a middle ground ending, I would have had I would have had silence and Loco die. You know, yeah. they, they take out everybody and silence dies at the end. But at least he like when he takes out the, the businessman guy, that's yeah. pretty much the fulfillment of his personal revenge. <laughs> so at least he's, you know. Yes, exactly. he's he's done his job and now he can die in peace or or whatever. Right. You could have gotten away with that ending, but I mean, that's a, the, this ending gives it an underline. It gives it something different. It's so obviously like sadistic in its, it, you know, it remind that it really reminded me of Cannibal Holocaust, and it's just like. Oh, I'm not going to let you have any there's you, you, you get nothing from this, but just existential dread. <laughs> it, it, yeah, nothing good. Nothing good comes of this and the bad guys get away. And now the bad guys got a better gun. Right. So it, it's 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 the very, it's a very conscious decision by the director, which is another yeah. thing that Tarantino loves is very yeah. conscious decisions. And uh, and it and it's and it's also obviously a, a give you something to talk about moment and mm-hmm. in that and it works and I was very unsatisfied when it was happening because I was so shocked by it right. and then afterwards when it sunk in I was you know I'm I don't want well, it's a it, weird, weird word to say but I'm grateful for movies like that because it gives you something a little more you know i mean it's not necessarily a very deep ending but it's it's it it makes it stand out for sure that and the excellent quality of everything that came before it too right um look at it this way look at it this way in the first act is in that scene with the the governor corbucci establishes that the bounty hunters represent the past, the primitive, barbaric past of the West. Right? Yep, and they don't have much longer to 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 be around. You know, things are getting civilized. They're still there. Right. But now Silence. they're just, they're an aberrants, and right. they're 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 a moral outrage. Whereas once they used to be a, a moral necessity. Silence represents the future because he's using modern technology at that point modern technology he is interacting with you know and in fact ends up in a relationship with a woman of a different race than him and he's motivated by the the evils of the past you know his 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 origin was you know from bounty hunter was Mm -hmm. was at the hands of bounty hunters and uh, also, he doesn't kill unless he's at. He will shoot the, your thumbs off so that you won't be able to, to hold a gun again. But he won't kill you unless you start. You are ready to kill him first. And, okay. No, 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 no. Follow me in this. Okay. So. So we have the future trying to defend these people who are still stuck in the past. These these what they call outlaws, but they're they're basically townspeople who are just starving to death and have to rob to 
to get food. Um, he goes in to protect them. And the old barbaric West not only beats him down, but steals his future. Steals his future tech. And it, the implication is that they're just going to evolve. They're going to yep. they're going to they're going to evolve with the time, which is kind of like at, at odds with most of Peck and Paws uh, westerns of this of this like, like with the Wild Bunch, which is all about the inability of these people to adjust to the to the coming future. So, but it, 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 it it's a really kind of it's like it's a very cynical message. It's like eh, they're going to find a way. Well, there's also he also has a split between the the like masculine and feminine way of dealing with things, and the women are all, the women are all, um, ready to move into the future. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the 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 like the most progressive person in this whole movie is is the madam at the, at the she's the one who's most overtly like. She'll, she 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 looks right at the banker guy and just like yeah all this is gonna get better when you're down in the ground you know or when we hang you or whatever you know and she'll and and she has her power as the brothel the person who runs the brothel that yeah. she could actually say that to that guy and he doesn't kill her <laughs> he just sort of goes like well, okay <laughs> but yeah it's it's the it's the women the old ladies you know they're 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 all ready for the which is. That's also kind She's of kind a fairly of almost like the stage. unofficial, even though uh, Polygut is the justice of the peace and is supposed to be in control of the town. The madam is actually kind of like the unofficial mayor. Right, right. She's the one that 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 organizes the the drive to collect food for the outlaws in the second act yeah and and people like uh, people bend over backwards to help her too you know she she does she doesn't have to work to do it everybody's like yeah we'll do it (laughs) and and i love the fact i mean she's she's a a a madam but nobody seems bent out of shape about it no no everybody appreciates that that uh in the old west that that's like you know that's as important as having a, a five and ten cent store. You know, if that if that whorehouse isn't there, there's no female companionship anywhere. <laughs> you know, that isn't of the like dr- you know draw a gun and rape variety. You know, it's it's a it's a it was a necessary outlet during those times and th- during that. You know the. The way people looked at it so yeah and 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 also the 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 brothel the the people in the brothel see everything they know everybody's secrets they know everybody's quirks and fetishes and weaknesses and i'm sure they hear a lot of pillow talk so it's it's a you know yeah it's it's one of the hubs of the the western town and it's one of the and and you very rarely see the madam ever getting messed with in a in a yeah. western movie. It's it's, it's a very. Uh, I mean, it, it, it it's a very forward-thinking western, despite its like I said, very dim view of humanity. And yeah. Very you know very dim. Like I said, evil is going to find a way to get to enter the, the the future. That's all there is to it. 
at the end. Yeah, yeah. No, the 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 things that the the the, the things that are driving, you know, because you know, the the sort of logic of it is all right, we had the system of the bounty hunters in order to keep outlaws in line. Now it's become a you know, so ingrained that it's instead of just like going after bad guys, it's just sort of a harvesting sort of sort of thing that you can just go shoot so, and the definition of outlaw is changing and 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 all that. And there's the when when you see the governor in the, in the governor's office, the assumption is like, well, our technology and our civilization is advancing, so we have no need for this anymore. But and but it, the the movie is basically saying, <clears throat> you might not have need for the way they're doing it now, <clears throat> but there's going to be plenty of work for evil people who just want to yeah. kill people who are sadistic and want to kill people in the future. It's just, yeah, it's going to be different work. <laughs> well, it reminds me because I, I recently did a review of the 1996 film Uncle Sam, which was uh, written by Larry Cohen and directed by... Um, that is, that is, well, we are recording this in July. This is yes. obviously recorded it's long after A couple of July, days after the 4th of July. But that is, that is our vault of startling monster horror tales of terror film for this July. I, I was not a fan. And well, you know how we, 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 we landed on it just by my stupidity. <laughs> yeah, uh, can you imagine that? I, I, we were talking about like, what should we do? And I'm like, well, we got July coming up. Let's do patriotic. I'm like... Is is there has there ever been a movie with a killer Uncle Sam? Expect it me and me thinking in my brain. Nobody's gonna make a slasher movie out of Uncle Sam. That's like kind of tasteless. And immediately everybody else there who knows their horror movies goes, "Oh, you mean like Uncle Sam?" <laughs> no idea that Larry Cohen had anything to do with it at the time either. One of my biggest problems with that film was that it seemed like. Larry Cohen had one message and William Lustig had another and they yes. were clashing. And yeah. Larry Cohen's message was there are some people who go to war for the right reasons and there are some people who go to war because it allows them to be a monster. Right. Right. And and I thought this was going to be a Jingo Jango movie mm-hmm. about, about, you know... Um, well, that's uh, what Lustig so- wanted but but what it, what it turned out to be was yeah it was like these are the worst aspects of patriotism in this guy and he sort of co-ops the uncle sam yeah thing but then on top of it they have you know creative patriotically themed deaths and stuff like the guy with Lincoln with <laughs> and a bullet in his head and and stuff like that so it's yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely a Larry Cohen movie and a lot L- 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 Lustig movie Lustig, yes. cr- crammed together and the two don't necessarily Reese's peanut butter cup if yeah, you know what I'm saying <laughs> um, for a more in-depth the same go message. back to July's uh, Vault of Starling <laughs> but the same message some people become in the great is in the great silence some people take up arms for the right reasons, and some people do it because it because the circumstances give them the right to be monsters. Yes, and the people who take it up for the right reason are 
operating under more constraints. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in Silence's case, it's self-imposed constraints, you know. He has rules, and those rules are his downfall <laughs> at, at the end of the movie. If he didn't have the rule of having to, of, of somebody drawing on him first, he could have just shot down Loco. Yeah, he could and, have just and Loco, walked in there. Yeah, the perfect they were, depth for Loco. That, that uh, poker game and just bang. Yeah, yeah, no, a, a dog's, a, a rabid dog's death would right. be the perfect death for Loco. He doesn't need a a righteous death. He he he. Uh, uh, just being shot down in the street would be perfectly uh, perfectly fine for him because it was perfectly fine for all his victims. So, but but Loco can't do that. And yeah. there's there's always that supernatural or not Loco. Uh, Silence can't do that. Yeah. And you know. They don't play it up. They don't play up any supernatural element to it here. But there's always like, whenever a whenever a hero has that like code of honor, there's always yeah. almost a supernatural element to it of like where like, if this guy doesn't hold to his code of honor, the universe is going to defeat him. You know. Yeah. That's what Whereas gets in him his invulnerability. Yeah, this guy follows his code of honor to the letter, and goes to his grave because of it. Yes. Yes, it does. It does. It, it is a hindrance to him. And like the people in, in usually a movie of a code of honor, take up a gun guy, you know, it very much like this movie. He starts out being, you know, just a force of nature. He just goes yeah. in and shoots everybody. And then he meets somebody stronger. And then it usually gets to where he's brought right to the edge of of what you know he's 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 usually defeated what it's the sort of the incredible hulk tv show formula you know he gets one defeat and uh what one place where you think oh you know he's met his match and then he rallies at the end and and in the end it all it all works out he just had to go through the the lowest point to get there and uh not so much here (laughs) and and of course this ending is way more realistic. <laughs> yeah, it is. And 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 part of the thing you feel the shock of it is it's like that's not how it's supposed to end, and then yeah. you think, well, it's very well how how it could have ended. Mm-hmm. It's uh, actually I, more likely how it would have ended. So I don't think I have to ask, but I think you would recommend this film. Oh yeah, I, I I was literally recommend I recommend I was outside talking to one of my friends and while I was recommending it to him the postman walked by and nosed into the conversation and I recommended it to the the postman and the postman actually brought up <laughs> all the uh, out of nowhere the uh, our our postman asked us is you ever seen Black Christmas by the same guy who did, <laughs> the, did the sa- same guy who did. Uh, and I'm like, Porky's? He's like, well, I was going to say a Christmas story. Yeah. And he goes, did you know there's a remake of it with an all-black cast? And I said, yes, I did. <laughs> Although that, apparently, I've been looking for that because, uh, you know, we, we talked about covering it next year for, for this year's Christmas uh, special. Well, it turns, it, was... out it's just a, it turns out it's a fan film. So. Oh, okay. So it doesn't really... However... Um, lucky for us, he says, doing this kind of, um, <laughs> air quotes, 
decided to gift us with a uh, a new version of Black Christmas at the end of this year. So now we, this was in the conversation with the postman, mm-hmm. and like I don't know if uh, did, I I don't think the original Black Christmas blew up the box office, but it was sort of a cult film. Mm-hmm. But like we we're just sort of trying to figure out what would inspire this movie to be remade so many times and the only thing i could i think it's the title i think the title i think you could just keep remaking this movie putting it out at christmas and the title black christmas right will 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 be like oh i want to go see a christmas horror movie and i think just with that with with that the strength of that title you can keep putting out black christmas movies and there'll be a lot of people who don't even know that it, it's a remake of a remake and a remake right. they're like there's our christmas horror movie for the season you know well it's it the, the original was kind of successful um but the thing is of course they measured success a lot differently right uh back in the 70s and they kept re-releasing it and re you know so it made it made its money back and more um and the thing is i think it, the people who saw it, it stuck with them. You know? Yeah, from the first movie, but I think ever since then it hasn't really, like... Oh, God, yes. <laughs> the subsequent movies... Speak of that thing again that killed Glenn Morgan's career. Yeah, you know, so... I mean, I have I have a certain amount of faith in Bloomhouse. They're they're usually yeah. they usually are very good with their their genre stuff. So that you know, what's my biggest prop, my biggest worry with it is that they're going to make it gung ho, like that the uh, the sisters are all going to be gung ho and going to like take it to Billy. Right, right. Uh, that's my biggest worry right now. Which is that it's going to totally subvert the message of the first film. That's why I sort of. That's why. Well, Bloomhouse is pretty good, though, of yeah. un, like actually understanding what made their source material tick. You know. But you know, for every Get Out, there they they've produced. They have produced a Blumhouse's Truth or Dare. Oh shit! I forgot about that. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. There, there's a lot. I, I love the the Happy Death Day movies. Uh, I love um, the film Cam, which they for some reason decided to release direct to Netflix, but it's really good. Oh, I, oh, I, I was gonna say I've seen that, but then I'm get, I was re, I was confusing that with REC record okay yeah, record. no uh cam is about a um a cam web- girl yeah, oh okay that makes sense about a webcam girl and one day she goes to log on to her account to, to do one of her regular sessions to find that she's already doing it and she's like that's not me see i don't understand you know that that um drive-ins are coming back yeah, they're starting to build drive-ins again, and people are going to drive-ins. Because I don't understand why those drive-ins aren't doing like Redbox Night, you know, mm-hmm. where, where they're not getting the modern equivalent of of that stuff. And 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 I don't know. I think enough people would be into it now that that, that people are 
you know people people miss the 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 like now when we have drive-ins you know they're just basically a cinemaplex right outside but you know i i like the sub idea that a drive-in was basically the dollar store or dollar cinema of its day and it was the all the movies that 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 weren't going to make it into your cinemaplex could go there for whatever reason for whether it was too cheap or too dirty or whatever and i would like to bring that back <laughs> i would love to have too cheap and too dirty night at the drive-in well let's be honest though most of i think most of the, this drive-in revival and it's it's not as big as we're, we're, we're kind of making it out to be is because once again it's a nostalgia thing we are living right. in the past we are not willing to go forward going, oh remember this I got the film grain. I've got a film grain and scratch filter on all the scenes and 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 all that stuff. Yeah, I I, I mean, like, if I was gonna engineer <laughs> the revival of drive-in movies, I would I would pick out the movies that were just you know just had that idea it was somebody who doesn't have a lot of money and wanted to make a horror movie and you know it wouldn't be uh, let's let's just put it this way I wouldn't be showing Machete. There. Right. And I probably wouldn't be showing like Quentin Tarantino's Grindhouse and stuff like that, or Hobo with a Shotgun. Although I like well, Hobo. Well, to be with fair, shotgun. I think Death Proof is a yes. Movie. No, Death? Death Proof. Like everybody complained about Death Proof being the weak point of that movie and one of his weakest things, but it was an authentic. Like he shot it. I mean, he he didn't have to go overboard with the budget it was it was all car stunts and and person to person scenes and it was also slower moving than than its predecessor than planet terror you know it was it and and it was planet terror was like the highest budget grindhouse movie ever that never would have gotten made because it was too good it was problem with neo with the neo grindhouse I've said this before. Um, as somebody who has watched a lot of Grindhouse movies, real Grindhouse movies, um, is that they're based on somebody's idea of what Grindhouse was, rather than rather than the actual. Right. It's so, it, it's like people who consciously make outsider art. Mm-hmm. It, it, it drives me nuts. Um. I, I, I'm trying to remember if I told this story before on this podcast. Uh, you know, every October now I do a, uh, a a charity stunt called the Halloween Horror Fest, where um, I watch 30 films at random, chosen by the audience, 30 horror films, and report on them. 30, you know, one for each day of Halloween, 31, right? Um. Before I decided that that was going to be chosen by the audience, I chose a film called Zombie Hunter because it starred uh, Danny Trejo and the plot synopsis, which said it was about a priest defending his neighborhood from an outbreak of zombies. That that actually sounds kind of cool, right? It was so bad because it was obvious to me that the person who directed this film never saw a Grindhouse film in his life. He saw other people's yes. 
ideas of a grindhouse or movie. Or he saw all the trailers, but never saw mm. a grindhouse film. Yes, yes. And uh, it was it was god awful. And I felt, and of course, Danny Trejo appeared in maybe twenty minutes of the film. So right, right. Which is very grindhouse. That is very grindhouse. Like slapping up the the biggest the biggest name on it with the right. least amount of content. But yeah, no. The thing about it is they like I I don't want to say they didn't intend to make grindhouse movies, but they didn't intend for them to look like that. They they were trying their best to make them look like a real movie as much as possible or sometimes they were just trying their best to just get it done i would dispute that because i think there are certain people andy milligan being one of them uh herschel gordon lewis for god's sakes who didn't give a shit about production values no they were more like pt barnum so yeah they were like they were like if i get enough blood in here and i get the movie out somebody's got to play 20 movies a day yeah. Or, you know, or 10 movies a day in a grindhouse. And so if this gets finished and I give it a good enough title and put some boobs on the poster, right. I'm going to make money off it. And the cheaper I make it, the more money I'm going to make. <laughs> well, so the film we're going to talk about in the next phase. You kind of tell where its brain is at when in the first five minutes we see four boobs. And... um implication of oral sex and <laughs> racist dialogue it's like okay this person wanted to wallow in the you know wallow in the worst that mankind has to offer yes you know? <laughs> but we'll get to that shall we i get so so we both recommend the great silence it's one of the oh i strongly recommend it uh, in, like i'm ashamed of myself that i didn't even know what this movie was until i had to watch it i'm it's, yeah, it is, in my opinion, one of the greatest spaghetti westerns of all time. It, I, I think this is my favorite, even above like the Leone stuff, and I love the Leone stuff. But I think that that I think this is just so powerful, and it's so dark, and it's so just it's visceral. Yeah. So, and we're not go we're going to talk about Klaus Kinski again because he was a major figure in Grindhouse cinema. He was so weird because he was like doing films like Crawl Space in the in the seventies and eighties, and then turning around and doing films with his his bestest buddy. Um, I still haven't seen Crawl Space, and I'm I really have to see it because, like, as a little kid, I read the book. Yeah, that it was. Um, he, he based on did, it's like if he he needed rent money for the week or something or he was planning on going and drinking really heavily that week he would take uh, a role in anything you know so and then he would go and do a hurt do like Fitzcarraldo or right. Juarez or right. the of God and it's like there's such a disconnect and I'm just he's such a weird character he's also probably one of the most despicable human beings who ever was an actor <laughs> that's funny because it's usually the guys who play despicable human beings that are sweetie pies in reality yeah. the guys who well, play sweetie pies that are that are sadists so it's weird not Kinski he was I think proud of the fact that he was an asshole <laughs> he was he 
supposedly on the on the, when he was filming this film. First off, he was fucking one of the uh, one of the supporting actresses, while his wife and his daughter Natasha were on a were, were sledding the next you know were sledding in the same area. <laughs> And secondly, he picked a fight with Corbucci's wife, who is Jewish, shouting at her, and I quote pretty much direct, this is what I was told that he said, I don't like you, you're Jewish, I'm German, I'm supposed to hate Jews. Oh, Jesus. Yes. I think the thing was, Kinski reveled in the fact that he was an asshole. Which means he would have been great today. Maybe he was just a super character actor and sunk himself way too deep. Have you ever read his, his bio, his, his autobiography, which has been out of print for far too long? No, I never have. I didn't never know it existed. He it's got to be crazy. It's insane. He talks about how he, he fucked cows. <laughs> and it strongly implies that he molested Natasha. Oh Jesus! So well, that would that would uh, probably explain a lot of her film career too. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like I, I understand why Herzog will say that. Like Herzog will say, "Yes, he was my best friend, but I hated his guts." <laughs> well, Herzog. Then there's Herzog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm settling in for some Star Wars Herzog coming up. I still want. I mean, you've heard about my um, my my TV show idea. Which one? My, my TV. Okay, one of my TV show ideas is that there would be this like it'd be like Scooby Doo, right? And okay. A van, and it would ru- drive around the country solving mystery, kind of like supernaturally tinged mysteries, which aren't really supernatural. The only thing is, is instead of four teenagers and a, a talking dog, it would be Werner Herzog and Aubrey Plaza. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. Would you watch that show? I would watch that show, yes. <laughs> and the thing, as I said to... I have a feeling when I was done with it, I'd say, what did I just watch there? But that sounds like the idea. I, I, I have a feel. The, thing, the funny thing is, is I have a feeling that if... I asked the both of them to be in the fit. They go, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For that. <laughs> no, like, like you ha- I have a feeling with Warner Herzog, if you ask him to do anything, there's just a 50-50 chance he'll say yes or no. You know, you could probably wrangle him in. And in, in depending on what he, what his mood is at the, at that certain point in time. <laughs> could be like dude we have we 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 totally have this kitty show where we're gonna dress you up in like a barney like outfit okay (laughs) (laughs) never done anything like that before tom cruise film as a villain he appeared in the first jack reacher film oh and he i still have to see those Oh, oh, well, supposedly the first one is actually pretty good. The second one, not so much, but it's got Colby Smolders in it. I like Colby Smolders, so maybe I will watch that. But, um, but yeah, so shall we lead into uh, the next phase? Since yes. Been re- re- 
missing it. We're staying in because there's another Italian subgenre. I realized I have not um, exposed you to yet. Uh, and so to speak, it's very influ. Yes, so to speak, it's a very influential genre because, as I'll explain in that in the next episode, next phase, um, this genre led to one of the directors making a film as a, uh, a reputation of that genre, as a disputation of that genre, which led to Americans making slasher movies. And oh, okay. uh, that, is, that is the Giallo film. And when deciding which Giallo to expose you to, I decided to uh, that it would be nice for you to visit the greatest movie title in the history of mankind. Namely, even better than the incredibly strange, <laughs> the incredibly strange creatures who. <laughs> I think this, and I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain it in the next phase. I think this is a, a, this is the best title ever in the history of motion pictures, and that is "Your Vice Is a Locked Room and Only I Have a Key," starring uh, Giallo icon Edward Fetich. Yes, he's a master sweater. No, no, no. She, Edward. She's. Uh, oh. Place Florina. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking. I was thinking of the guy. Man, yeah, that guy can that, sweat. That, that's Luigi Castelli. He Luigi can sweat like a champ, man. So, uh, <laughs> so that's your assignment for next month. Uh, prepare to see lots of boobs. Okay. Is a lot of cat, I'm already a lot prepared. Of, <laughs> a lot of cat's eyes, both in tandem and singularly. <laughs> and uh, I think right now it's time for you to go! Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.
we were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft, which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan, on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.